everybody. If you've got your Bibles with you, let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and we will be looking at one verse this morning, verse 6. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I had every intention this week of, of moving further and covering more verses, but um, I got sidetracked. <laughs> Made it to verse six and couldn't get couldn't get past. We will. Last week we we began with the temptation uh, of Eve by Satan in the garden, and today we will continue with that. Uh, so we'll talk about the temptation part uh, part two. So let's if you got your Bibles again, let's turn to verse six and let's begin reading there. It says, "So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and she ate." And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate as, as well. Now, as we said last week, the temptation of Eve begins with a, with a very simple question. And Satan asked her, did God really say? Did God actually say? I mean, it's a, it's a, when you think back, when you go back and you read this, this is so subtle, and it's so tricky what he, did because what he did is at the very essence of all temptation. It's at the very essence of sin, and that is he smuggles in the with one simple question. He smuggles in the assumption that God's word is open to our judgment. That that somehow we have a right to evaluate what God has said. I mean, it's a very simple, subtle question, but wow, it just opens everything up. And his question is designed, as we said last week, to get Eve walking down a path in her mind. Because all sin starts in the mind. All sin begins most times with a single thought that we begin to just walk down this path. That's why Paul tells us in Second uh, Corinthians, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That thought comes and we have a choice. Do I walk down this road or do I immediately bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ? And that's what Eve should have done. She should have dealt with it properly, but she didn't. She begins to walk down this path just as Satan wants her to. Now listen, of course we all know that he wants her to eat the fruit, right? He wants her to disobey God. But listen, Satan cannot make her do anything. There used to be a comedian by the name of Flip Wilson. Any of y'all remember flip from years ago and you remember his signature line the devil made me do it well let me tell you the devil can't make you do anything he doesn't force you to do anything what he can do is get you walking down this path in your mind until you do something that you shouldn't have done and what he wants her to do what he wants her to do in her thinking he wants to bring her to a point where she doubts the goodness of God that's what he wants to do with, with each and every one of us. In fact, look at, look at verse 5, if you back up for just a second. This is his final word to her. He said, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. See, what he's saying is, listen, Eve, there's something wrong with God. God doesn't want any competition. God doesn't want anybody to be like Him. He wants to keep you down. He wants to suppress you. He, he doesn't want you to be all that you can be because he knows you'll be like him. See, he's impugning God's character. He, 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 he wants Eve to see, man, there's something wrong with God. He wants her to doubt 
the goodness of God. Now, why would he want her to do that? Here's why. Because he knows that we will never trust a God that's not good. You see, if he can bring us to the point where we see that we think, man, God's not good, then we won't trust him. We won't believe in him. On, on a side note, let me say this. This is why when we go through trials, it, it is such a dangerous time for us. Because when you're going through trials and you're going through suffering, see, the enemy will come and sit on your shoulder and say, see, God's not good. And it's those very times we have to stand on the Word of God. We have to stand on His promises. We have to look back and see all the things that He's done for us. You stand. Because that is a dangerous time for us. Because it's easy for Him to say, look, if God was good, this wouldn't be happening to you. See, He wants us to doubt the goodness of of God, because we will not trust a God that we don't see as good. Listen, He wants us to bring us to distrust or unbelief because that is the root sin of all other sins. Listen, every temptation brings us to a fork in the road. It's a very simple question that we'll all have to ask, answer at one time or another. Do I trust God or not? Do I believe He's good or not? Do I believe He knows what's best for me or not? It's really simple, the choice we we end up coming down to when we're tempted. Do I believe God or not? Do I trust Him or not? We all come to that fork in, in the road. So here's Eve, and she's walked down this path. She's entered this conversation with Satan, and she's come all the way down this path in her mind, just as he as he wanted her to, and now she has a decision to make. Will I, does she believe that God is good? Does she believe that God knows what's best for her? And will she trust Him? Or will she take the other path? Now, we're going to chase a rabbit. This is where I got to. And I had every intention of moving on. And then I started chasing a rabbit. Y'all know what chase a rabbit means, right? We run down a trail and, and sometimes you just want to come back. But this time I was going to trace, chase a rabbit for a moment and ended up chasing it for the whole lesson. So we, we're going to chase this rabbit for just a little bit. There are two significant passages in the Bible where we see Satan tempting a human being or tempting a person. Two very significant ones, and you know, you know which ones they are. The first one we, we've read right here in Genesis chapter 3 where Satan tempts Eve. The other one we will see in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan tempts who? Jesus, that's exactly right. And the fact is, remember, we have progressive revelation, which means we are here 2,000 years later, we have the whole New Testament, we can look back at the Old Testament and we can understand it better because we have the, the insight or the hindsight of New Testament knowledge. And so if we want to understand Eve's temptation more fully, And if we want to understand why did Eve fail so badly, one of the things that will help us do that is to go look at Jesus' temptation and see how he succeeded. You see, you've got these two temptations. One of them was an abject failure on the part of the human being, and the other was a a rousing success on the part of the human being. What, What makes them different? But the first thing we want to see is what do they have in common? And if you actually go and compare these two temptations, we're going to find that they have three things in common. Now, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, he actually 
documents or shows us what these three things are. First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 16 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, John breaks into three categories. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three things that Satan tempts Eve with, and these are also the same three things that he, will, that he tempts Jesus with. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now this is important for us this morning because let me tell you, every temptation still works the same way. Right? Satan doesn't change his methods. By the way, he doesn't have to because if it ain't broke, he don't fix it. It works for Eve and it just, it works, it just keeps working on human beings over and over and over and over again. So we need to understand temptation. We need to understand how it works so that we can successfully uh, manage that as well. So if you've got your Bibles right there, flip over to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus this morning. We've looked, we'll come back right at the end of the lesson, we'll come back and look at the temptation of Eve, but we want to take a a majority of our time this morning to look at the temptation of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Now before I get to verse 2, I want to step back to the end of chapter 3. I want to remind you once again that the chapters and verses in the Bible were not added until the 15th century. Okay? So, just, you gotta be, you gotta understand that, right? Just because something's in chapter 3 doesn't mean it's not connected to chapter 4. Those chapters and verses weren't added to some priest, I think, in 1490s or something like that, added the chapters and verses. So in the original Greek, these all go together. They all just one sentence right after another. So let's look at the last sentence of chapter 3 and the first sentence of chapter, of chapter 4. It says, and this is Jesus, by the way, has just been baptized by John, and he comes up out of the water, and it says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now let me tell you something. I think these two verses are so important, and they teach such an important lesson. Satan does not tempt Jesus outside of the plan of God. Is everybody with me? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't enter the picture outside. It is God's plan. He is led by who? The Spirit. Into the wilderness specifically to be tempted by the devil. Let me tell you, Satan was not in Jesus' life outside the plan of God. He was not in Job's life, right? He had to come and ask God permission to have a go at Job. So he's not in Jesus' life. He's not in Job's life. Let me tell you, he's not in the garden outside the plan of God. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Satan somehow slipped into the garden and ruined everything. God. No, he's in the garden because God led him in there. He's doing exactly what God had planned for him to be able to do. That, that's, this is all under God is a sovereign God. Let me tell you, he's not in your life outside the plan of God either. If he's there in your life, it's because God has allowed him to be there. God has given him permission to be there. As a Christian, the fire of testing is not owing necessarily to the displeasure of God. Now, if you've got sin in your life and you've got some stuff going on, God will discipline you. 
But that's not always true. Sometimes he's got something else in mind. James says it this way in James chapter 2, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith... Listen, the word trials, testing, temptation, it's all the same word. It's all the same word. Trials, testing, temptation. Count it all joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces endurance. It produces strength and maturity. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, sometimes he lets things come against us and has us go through things because he's building us up. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants to bring some things to the top and let us see them. Man, I didn't know that was there. And get rid of it. He wants to purify us. He wants to conform us to the image of His Son. So that's what's going on here. He, he, Jesus has to go through this to ready Himself for His, for his ministry. So it's not owing to the, any kind of displeasure. So I think that's important to point out. Now, let's turn to the first one. The first thing that Satan uses against Jesus is the desires of the flesh. Listen, Satan understands that our flesh has needs. We need food, we need clothing, shelter, sex. He knows that those things are desires of the flesh. And God has set up a certain way for us to meet those needs. By the way, he also knows that we have emotional needs. Things like uh, justice, right? I, I like revenge. You know, we think of revenge as a bad thing, but the Bible says vengeance is mine doesn't say it's a bad thing. He just says there's a certain way it's supposed to be done. God is supposed to seek vengeance, not you. So God, he, we have these needs and, and, and Satan knows it. So what he wants us to do is he wants us to try to fill those needs in ways that are forbidden by, by God. Okay, now let's bring that to Matthew chapter 4 and let's look at verses 2 through 4. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus, talking about Jesus, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now this morning, I want you to learn an uh, an important lesson. I'm going to show you the difference between reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God. Okay? I'm going to show you this morning the difference between just reading the Word of God and what it means to actually study the Word of God. Now here, we've all, I'm sure everybody in this room has read this. And we read it and and say, boy, Jesus quoted the Word. And that's great, but what Word did He quote? And why is He quoting that Word? See, in this case, He says, it is written, so we know He's quoting Scriptures, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. Now, this is very significant, what I'm about to tell you. Jesus is going to be tempted three times, and every time he's tempted, he quotes from Deuteronomy. Every single time. He doesn't say, well, let me get a quote from Psalms, let me get a quote from Proverbs, let me get a quote from Isaiah. No, every single time he quotes from Deuteronomy. Not only that, every single time he quotes the same sermon from Moses. If you go back and read Deuteronomy, uh, Moses has just led the people out of, uh, out, of, uh, out of Egypt and they've been 40 years in the wilderness and they come to the land of Canaan and they're about to go over into the promised land and Moses preaches a sermon, preaches this long sermon. 
And he goes back over all these things that they experience, and he's preaching them. Remember those things, and he's just he's bringing it all up again. It's a long sermon, and it's all found in Deuteronomy. And every single time Jesus is tempted, he quotes that sermon. He goes back to now that. Listen, guys, that's not a coincidence. That's that's not an accident that Jesus does that every single time. He Jesus clearly clearly sees a parallel between his 40 days in the wilderness and Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. He, he clearly sees a parallel he, because he's quoting that sermon. So I want to go back and look specifically this morning at Moses' sermon. What, what was Moses' sermons all about? So let's, I'm going to, you can turn there if you want to. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read the words that Jesus quoted. I'm going to read those in context. This is Moses preaching to the Israelites. He says this, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you, by the way, just as Jesus was what? Led into the wilderness. These 40 years in the wilderness, just as Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you, just as Jesus was being tested, to know, oh boy, underline these two lines, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commands or not. Remember what we said about Eve? She comes to a fork in the road. What's in her heart? Is she going to trust God? Is she going to believe that He's good? Or is she going to go her own way? See, Moses says, God led you in the wilderness to know what was in your heart. To know, are you going to trust God? Are you going to keep His commands? Are you going to believe Him? Or are you going to go another way? Look at verse 3. And He humbled you and let you hunger just as Jesus was hungry. And He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that a man does not live by bread alone, but that a man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And see, what Moses is saying here is God lets you, He puts you in the wilderness, He lets you get hungry, and He brought you to a point where you had to make a decision. Do we trust God that He's going to meet our need? that He's going to bring food? Or do we grumble and complain and go our own way? And He said, look at what He did for you. He brought manna, a food that you'd never even seen, you'd never heard of, that you might know to trust God, that live by God's promises, stand on God's Word, and He'll supply your every need. Believe Him. Don't grumble and complain and pout and whine. Stand on what He's done for you. Everybody see that? That's what that sermon is all about. Now listen, the parallels here between Jesus and Israel are too amazing to be an accident. We, we see in Deuteronomy that God has led the people of Israel, right? He's, he's got a chosen people. Now He's got a new chosen people. He says, you are a chosen people, a chosen generation, are we not? Christ, we're the Christians, we are the new Israel, He led Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of the bondage of Egypt. He leads us out of the bondage of sin. He's leading them into the promised land of Canaan. He's leading us to a promised land called a heaven where we'll live with Him eternally. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness. They are led into the promised land by a man named Joshua, which means Savior. We are led into the promised land of heaven by a man named Jesus, which means Savior. The the parallels here, there's these huge parallels between his 40 days, and, and it's just amazing that he goes back and he quotes all that. 
Now you may say, well, that's, that's cool, Derek. I'm glad you pointed all that out. What's that got to do with the desires of the flesh? You see, it's all about trust. You see, in the, in the wilderness, once again, God fed the Israelites with manna. It's a miraculous food, right? Why? So that they would learn to stand on His promises. So that they would learn to believe in Him and trust Him. That I will supply all your needs. Now how does miraculous manna teach that? Because manna shows them that God can with the snap of His fingers, with a, with a word out of His mouth, He can supply your needs in ways you never dreamed of. You're sitting there worrying and thinking, how's He going to do all this? And He just says, let it be. And all of a sudden, this miracle comes and it's taken care of. See, listen, Jesus has the exact same temptation as they did. See, He comes to this point. He's been 40 days in the wilderness. His body has to be emaciated. He is, he is hungry. He is weak. And, he, and the devil comes and says, Hey, if, just, if you're really the Son of God, just make these stones into bread and, 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 and you know, uh, sate your hunger. And see, he has a decision to make. He's at a fork in the road. Do I trust my Father to supply the food when I need it? Or do I take it into my own power? He's got the same choice. He's brought through that same temptation. Do I trust God or do I trust myself? Do I believe that he's good, that he supplies all my needs? Or do I do it, I just use my own power to produce my own food? He's got the exact same choice. That's why he goes back and quotes that exact scripture. Will you use your own power to supply your desires of the flesh? Will you do it your own way? Or will you trust God to do it for you? See, remember what he said, Moses said to the Israelites, God did all that to know what was in your heart. Will you put God first and your desires second? Who is on the throne of your heart? Which one will prevail? Which choice would you, will you make? Which fork will you take? The, every temptation brings us to that same choice. Trust God or not? And that's, what the, that's the temptation that Jesus had. Do I trust the Father to supply my hunger, to meet my needs, or do I trust myself? And he said it. What did he say? He went back to Moses' sermon and he said, It is written, Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but you should trust in the words and the promises of God. Let me tell you, every temptation is going to bring us to that same fork. Listen, on a side note, you understand how important this was to Jesus to to overcome this temptation? Because three years later, he's going to be in a garden. And he's got, he knows what's coming. And he's got, he's, the, the, the temptation to walk out of that garden and flee is going to be so strong, it literally says he sweat, he would sweat drops of blood. And he's, he's got it. Do I trust Father? Do I trust the Father? Do I trust the Father? Do I say to the Father, not, not my will, but yours? But see, he had already beat that temptation three years earlier with the hunger. See, every temptation builds us up, edifies us, strengthens us. So, so when the next one comes, we're able to walk through it. There's no little temptation. It, it's all meaningful. It all means something. That's why we should fight it with everything that we have. Second way that Satan tempts Jesus is with the pride of life. The pride of life is anything that exalts us above our station. Anything that says, man, look how special you are. Look how great you are. Anything that breeds arrogance against God. Anything that breeds worldly wisdom against the wisdom of God. That's what uh, John calls 
the pride of life. Now let's see how Satan uses it. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. That's Psalms 91.11. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. That's Psalms 91.12. Now let me tell you something. Satan clearly knows the Bible. He clearly knows Scripture. He may know it better than you and I know it. And he also knows how to use it to his advantage. I, I heard one commentator say, Satan can often be found behind the pulpit with the Bible. So he knows it. He knows how to twist it and use it and pull it. When you're doubting something, he can pull that Scripture and says, well, see, this, this, this fits just with how you think. Right? And he uses it to trick us and deceive us by creating an illusion of truth that we'll believe. That's what he's always trying to do. And by the way, that is why it is imperative, imperative, imperative that you know the Word of God. Know the Word of God. So you cannot be fooled. That's why Bible study is so important. That's why what you're doing here today is so important. That's why God has given us teachers. By the way, both the live and dead. Nothing wrong with dead teachers. They, they got some good stuff out there. Find, get, get with men that have a proven track record in the Word of God and put yourself under them and be taught the Word of God. It's imperative that you know it because let me tell you, Satan knows it and he will trick you and use it uh, against you. Now, look at verse 7. How does Jesus respond to this Satan using the Word? He says this, Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What is he quoting? He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. Once again, it's the exact same sermon that Moses preached to the people of Israel before they went into the promised land. Now this begs the question, alright? He's on the pinnacle of the temple, and, and, and Satan has just said, throw yourself off. Man, the angels will catch you. Prove you're the Son of God. So I have to ask the question, what in the world does jumping off a building... And testing God have to do with one another. Now, I've, listen, I've heard this preached a lot of times over the years. And, and most people, the, the best lesson they can get out of this was, don't try to make God do tricks for you. You ever heard something along those lines when this is preached? Don't, don't try to make God do tricks for you. Let me tell you, the issue in this temptation runs much, much, much deeper than that. So we're going to study again, not just going to read it, we're going to study the Word of God this morning. We're going to go back to Moses' sermon to see what it is in that sermon that Jesus wants us to see. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 10 through 16. Again, this is the same sermon. Moses is still preaching to the same Israelites before they go to the Promised Land. This is what he said. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of good things that you did not fill, cisterns or wells that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Now that's a pretty good promise right there, isn't it? I'm going to take you into a land, I'm going to, there's going to be cities and houses, you can just walk in and, and, and take them over, you didn't build them. There will be crops in the field that you can go ahead and harvest and you didn't even plant them. There will be wells you can pull water out of. You didn't even have to dig them. I'm going to take care of all that for you. And he goes on. And when you eat and are full, 
Then take care lest you forget the Lord. Now watch this, he's going back to the past. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massa. Now there's a clue. Moses said, remember Jesus is quoting Moses, you shall not test the Lord your God. Don't ask me to jump off a building. Then we go back to Moses, and Moses says, don't test the Lord like you did at Massa. But what's he talking about? Well, let's go back to Exodus 17, and let's see what he's talking about. Here's a place, they're out in the wilderness, and they've run out of water. They're all thirsty, they're all, there's a, you know, there's a lot of grumbling and whining and complaining, they're thirsty, there's no water. And it says this, Exodus 17, 1 through 7, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And he goes on, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, Moses, of course, goes and talks to the Lord, What am I supposed to do about this? And the Lord says to him, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so, and he called the name of the place Massa. Now listen to this. Because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? How did they test the Lord? They tested Him by saying, where are you? Where are you at? Are you here? See, guys, listen. To understand the lesson, remember, Jesus is standing on the, on the pinnacle of the temple. And Satan has said, throw yourself off. And Satan said, man, you don't test the Lord like that. And he quotes Moses. And Moses says, don't test the Lord like you did at Massa. And we go back to Massa, and that we see him testing the Lord by saying, where are you? So you've got to find the parallels. What is it about jumping off a temple that's like grumbling about water? Well, see here, Israel, listen, they had seen God do great things for them, had they not? The ten plagues in Israel, the parting of the Red Sea, the manna in the wilderness, the quail for me, they had seen Him do amazing things. They, I mean, unbelievable things. He had always provided for them. He had always taken care for them. Never failed them in any way. In addition, He had made these incredible promises. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, crops you didn't plant, wells you didn't dig. I mean, crazy promises, right? I mean, just think. They had all this stuff in the past they could count on. They had all these promises in the future they could count on. But you see, the problem with Israel was always the present. That was always their problem. All that, he, by the, all that He had done in the past for them, all He promised to do in the future, that didn't mean nothing to them. It didn't mean anything. Every time they came to a difficulty, they grumble and they complain and they whine. You see, this helps us understand what it means to put God to the test. Notice what Moses said. They tested the Lord saying, is He here or not? You see, in their hearts of hearts, they didn't trust Him. Even though He had done all the stuff in the past and promised to do all that stuff in the future, every time they came to a hard spot, every time they, they came to a trial of suffering, they said, where are you? Where are you? And, and Moses says that's how they tested Him. Each new difficulty they, countered, they encountered caused them to question His goodness and His power. But hey, 
if God would just apologize and come through one more time, then maybe they'd trust Him. Listen, go back and read it. They did. It happened over and over and over and over and over again. Every time they came to a difficulty, they made God prove Himself all over again. That's how they tested Him. You want to test God? Then every time you come to a difficulty, don't trust Him and make Him prove Himself all over again. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? Why are you letting me go through this? See, that question of His goodness and power, that should have been settled years ago, should it not? That should have been settled with all the things that He had done for them, but it never was settled in their heart that God was a good God and that He wouldn't put us through anything that He didn't have a plan for us. And they made Himself prove Himself, they made Him prove Himself over and over again, and that's how they tested Him. Now, how does, what does that have to do with Jesus? It's the same thing. Jesus is standing on the temple. Satan says, throw yourself down. Angels, man, Scripture says angels will protect you. And see, Jesus is standing there, and 40 days earlier, he heard a voice say what? This is my beloved son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. 40 days. And now here he is 40 days earlier, and man, he is suffering. He's suffering physically. He's suffering mentally. He is, he, he's been 40 days without food, and here he is with Satan quoting Scripture at him. He's at a fork in the road. He's got a cho- the same choice the Israelites had. He had to make the same choice. Do I make God prove Himself all over again and jump off this temple? Do I make the Father prove His love to me all over again by jumping off this temple? Is He like the Israelites that's going to test God Prove yourself again, Father. I know you just told me 40 days ago you loved me, but I, man, that was 40 days ago. Listen, some of us can't go 10 days. Some of us can't go a week. A week ago, we were, we were up here. And now something's happened, now we're down here. God, where are you? Right? I mean, Jesus is at the same thing, man. He was, he was, he was 100% God, 100% human. Hebrew says in every way he was tempted like we are. He understands. He, 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 man, where's the Father? Why am I going through all this? See, like them, God had done something for him just 40 days ago. Like Israel, he had these promises that if you'll just obey me, if you'll walk with me, I'll, I'll, you'll sit at my right hand ruling over creation. His future was glorious. What's he going to do? But you see, just like Israel, his present was difficult. He's in the wilderness. He's facing hardship and hunger. He know, by the way, he knows ahead of him lies great suffering. At that moment, he faced the same question that Israel faced. Is the Father with me or not? And you see, the temptation for him is to throw yourself off the temple and make the Father prove again that he loves you. Just like Moses said they tested Israel at Massa. But let me tell you, Jesus is not like Israel. He doesn't need to make the Father prove Himself all over again because He trusts the Father. He knows the Father's good. Yes, the Father had led Him into a barren wilderness. Yes, the Father had afflicted Him with hunger. But He still knows that God is good. So He doesn't have to prove Himself to Satan. He doesn't have to prove it to Himself. He doesn't have to prove it to you and me. He doesn't prove it to anybody. He just stands on God's Word. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. See, God had proven Himself in the past. 
And God had made great promises for the future, and that was enough for Jesus. So he says to Satan, I don't have to test God. I don't have to make God prove himself all over again. And he didn't. I mean, what a... What a do y'all see the difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible? There's so much there if we'll just dig in and study the Word of God. Let's look at the last one, the desire of the eyes. The desires of the eyes is the endless accumulation of stuff. We all are, 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 are well-versed with this. It's this in, insatiable desire that i got to have that one more thing. If I just have that one more thing, I'll be happy, right? Look at verses 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, I, I kind of like this. I think that second temptation was the biggie. I think Satan had thrown everything he had at Jesus in that second temptation. He threw scripture at him. And he gets here and it's like Satan just says, I only got one more shot. Look, everything here, I'll give it to you. And it's like Jesus said... that's all you got? Get out of here, Satan, right? Be gone, Satan. That's that's, that's your best shot. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. Once again, what does he quote? Deuteronomy 6. That's a sermon from Moses. All three temptations, he quotes the exact same sermon from Moses in Deuteronomy. If you go back to that Deuteronomy, we've already read it. I'll read it one more time. Moses said to the people of Israel, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him only you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Listen, the lesson here is very simple. If the very Son of God counts it His duty to obey the command to worship God, how much more should you and I? If the very Son of God says, man, my primary thing in life is not junk, it's not stuff, it's to worship God. If the Son of God considers that His primary responsibility, how much more you and I? Listen, nothing is to come before the worship of God. Not houses, not cars, not money, not clothes, not anything, not kingdoms. Worshiping God is the first and primary duty of every human being. Now, I want to go back to Eve's temptation. Y'all thought I'd completely forgot about Genesis chapter 3. If you got your Bibles, flip back over to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Let's read what Eve says in her mind. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was delight to the eyes, and it was desired to make one wise, does anybody see the three things? The same three things that John says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, all that is in the world, the same three things he tempted Jesus with are the same three things he started out in the garden with. She saw it was good for food, delight to the eyes, desired to make one wise. The desires of the flesh, she said, man, this is good for food, right? Remember we said earlier, desires of the flesh are legitimate needs. But Satan wants us to meet them in a way that God said, don't do that. Hunger is legitimate need. But notice how she forgets there's 99.9% of the other trees I can eat, and she's focused on the one she can't. Remember, that's Satan. He wants to get you off the freedom that God gives you and have you focus on the restrictions that God gives you. And she sees it. Man, she might even be hungry, and she's looking at that now. She can't even see the other stuff that God's done for her. 
She can only see the thing he said, don't do. And she said, well, you know, it's good for food. It meets the desire of the flesh. Desires of the eyes. She says it's the delight to the eyes. I mean, it's pleasant. It's attractive. Look at it. Man, the more I look at it, it's it's better than any of the others. The more I focus on it, these others are ugly. Man, look at that one. And surely nothing can, it's pretty. It can't, nothing bad comes in a pretty package. Nothing bad comes in a package that understands you like somebody else doesn't. Nothing bad can come anything like that, can it? See, she said in her mind, I know we've been given all these other trees to eat for, but I can only be happy if I have that one. It's that one that's really going to get, well, I'll really be happy then if I can just get one more. Surely, surely God wouldn't want to keep that from me. And of course, the pride of life is desired to make one wise. Listen, we all know wisdom is a good thing, is it not? Surely God wants us to grow in wisdom. He wants us to grow in knowledge. He, he, wouldn't want us, he wants us to be all we can be, doesn't He? Right? I mean, surely that can't be a bad thing. Let me tell you, at this point, she, she's at the fork in the road. It's the same choice the Israelites had. It's the same choice that Jesus had. Do I trust God or not? Do I believe that He's good or not? Do I believe He knows what's best for me? Or do I make that choice for myself? But where Jesus stood on God's Word, Eve does not. By the way, she's already rationalizing in your mind. Can you see what she's doing? She's weighing out the benefits. She's justifying, which in her, in her heart, she's already made her decision. She's just justifying what she's going to do now. And Satan just goes right along with it. I mean, she says, look, it'll help me nutritionally. It, it's pleasant to look at. It'll make me wise. How can it be wrong when it seems and it feels so right? Derek Kidner said this, Eve listened to a creature instead of the Creator. She followed her emotions instead of her instructions. And she made self-fulfillment her goal. You see, it all started in her mind, and then it moved into her emotions. Yikes. Listen, sin starts with a thought, and the more you let it play, sometimes it'll move down and it gets in your emotions. Now you start to feel it. And when you start the emotions in the mind, now you got lust. And lust will overpower the will and produce the behavior. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Do not let it get past a thought. Because if you do, you're probably doomed. It's going to be very difficult to turn back. Let's read it again, Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Listen, we're going to go in next week to the fall. There is, I, I said, I think this is probably the most interesting chapter in the Bible. There are so many questions, right? I mean, you know, here's the one we're going to focus on next week. Eve was deceived. Timothy tells us Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. He knew exactly what he was doing. Why did he eat? Why did he do that? Why did he take it? We're going to focus on that next week. It was a simple act with absolutely monumental consequences. One of the sermons I read said this, they picked up a rock from the mountain and they buried humanity in an avalanche of sin. They picked up a rock, a little small rock from the mountain. This this is just a small thing. It's a small temptation. And they buried humanity in an avalanche of sin. Next week, we'll turn to the fall. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Father...